we begin our time in God's Word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day thankful for the blessings of your church. Lord, we're thankful for, as the choir prayed, uh, are saying, uh, that old country church where we have been formed and built up in the faith and discipled, and we remember all those good uh, saints of times past that uh, built us up in our faith and discipled us. And Lord, I pray that as we look to them as examples, that we would be encouraged by their example to serve as well and to live in faithfulness and to use our gifts and our talents for the good of your church in this year and in this hour. Father, I pray that you would bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 8 together as we look at the sacrifice of gifts. And uh, usually during homecoming, I, want, I, I try to do a special sermon that focuses on the life and history of the church. But then as I, uh, as I was studying for, through the book of Romans and getting ready to preach through that, I realized that this passage that we have this morning fits perfectly with a homecoming sermon. And so I want to just continue on in our study of the book of Romans and to consider how we have been impacted by the ways that men and women have served in this church throughout the years and what that should mean for us as believers in this time and place in this church and how we should serve the Lord in our callings and gifts in the church today. And, you know, uh, any time we have a homecoming, my mind is brought back to people that were influential and meaningful in my life. Uh, People like Miss Thompson, who taught me uh, second grade Sunday school and who was instrumental in leading me to the Lord just in her daily or weekly service of teaching Sunday school. People like uh, the, the pastor that I had when I was a teenager who made sure that we had opportunities as youth to serve in the church and who uh, incorporated us into the worship service and the and the ministry of the church people uh, of all different backgrounds men that I watched just serve uh, in small ways like making sure the coffee was ready for Sunday school or making sure that the the air conditioner was on uh, for the church service that day. Things that people didn't notice or they thought went unnoticed, but that a teenage boy who was coming to church every Sunday noticed those men and those women serving in those ways. And this church could not function and would not be here today if it weren't for the power of God's Spirit working Himself out through those men and women in times past. And it would not continue to exist today if it were not for men and women and boys and girls today in this church service and who aren't able to be here with us today who have served and are serving and using their gifts and talents for the good of God's kingdom in this place, in this time. And so in our passage today, we see that spelled out for us, how we are each called to use our gifts and our talents for the good of God's kingdom and for the good of His church. And if you remember from our study last week in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we saw this pivotal passage in which Paul is transitioning from Uh, the theological aspects of the gospel and what the gospel means and 
how it works itself out in theology and in the, the plan of God throughout all of time and space. And now he turns to the practical applications of the gospel. And he did that transition by giving us two principles for faithful Christian living. And those two principles are, first of all, that we should give our bodies as living sacrifices for the good of the church and for the worship of God. And secondly, we should forsake conformity to the systems and the ways of this world so that we might renew our minds and be uh, pursue in, in pursuit of the will of God. So this morning, we are going to begin to work through the details of what it looks like to be a living sacrifice for God. So for all of chapter 12 and 13 and 14, Paul is going to give us in great detail what it looks like to live as a sacrifice for God. And so we begin with how we sacrifice our gifts for the good of other believers by using our gifts and talents to build up the church of God. So to see that, let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 together. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, God's word says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So in this passage, I want you to see two points this morning. First, I want you to see the good of the other. And second, I want you to see the gifts of grace. So first, let's consider the good of the other from verses 3 through 5. So when I was a young boy, uh, we used to spend a good bit of time over at my grandfather's house. And Granddaddy was a lot of fun to be around. He always had stuff for us to play with. Granddaddy always kept a go-kart so that we could ride around the yard and ride around the land and have a good time. He kept all sorts of outdoor games like croquet and uh, I don't remember what the game was that we, it was just a pole with a string and a tennis ball on it and you just hit the tennis ball back and forth. Things were simpler then, then kids. We didn't have to have Xboxes. But, um, but anyway, you hit that back and forth and whoever got it to the bottom or the top won. You remember all that. But Granddaddy also grew up during the Depression. So he believed in hard work. And he was going to teach his grandkids how to work if he had anything to do with it. And so every time we went over to Granddaddy's, he would always start us out with some work and he would end with play. And now for my brother, Patrick, that was the perfect vacation. My brother, to this day, when he goes on vacation, he still works. He takes his laptop with him so he can do a little work while he's at the beach or in the mountains or whatever it is. Patrick just loves to work. Me, on the other hand, I 
did not come to work. I came to play. And I did not care for the work portion of Granddaddy's schedule. But every so often, you know, Granddaddy would come up with something for us to do. And one particular weekend that we were there, he gave us the assignment of going around the yard and picking up limbs and pine cones. And he would pay us a whole penny per pine cone that we picked up. Now, me, as eight years old, I had learned math by now. And I knew that it didn't matter how many pine cones I picked up, it wasn't going to be a lot of money if I got a penny per pine cone. So I was just piddling around, doing a little bit of work, and finally my grandfather got frustrated with it, and he began to chide me about how little work I was doing. And I told Granddaddy, Granddaddy, I didn't come here to work. (laughs) Well, Granddaddy was also quite the picker. And he would never let you live anything down. And so to this day, even though my grandfather's been dead a few years, my family still won't let me live down that one statement. And every time we go to work, my family just real quickly will let me know, now Nathan, we're going to be doing some work now. You need to know, we're not here to play, we're here to work. And you know, I think many in the church view serving in the church like eight-year-old Nathan viewed picking up pine cones. We don't come to church to work. Many come to church to worship. Some come to church to be renewed or regain their hope in the Lord. Some come for tradition because that's what we do and that's a commitment that we make. And all of those are good reasons. We should come to church to worship. We should come to church to study God's Word and to be encouraged and to maintain the traditions of the faith. But we all need to understand that God has not saved us, not only just saved us from something, from our sin and our judgment and death, but He has also saved us to something. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul tells us, That we are saved by grace through faith. And it's this beautiful statement of how salvation is purely by God's grace alone. But then Paul ends that statement in verse 10 by saying this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you catch what that means? God has saved you so that you might fulfill a purpose in His kingdom. Paul says as much in the passage that we just read in our text today. He gives an important analogy that he gives throughout his different letters that he writes. And in verse 4, he explains that we are all members of one body. So like a human body has many different members. It has fingers and toes and arms and legs and uh, stomach and brain and head and all of those things. And as the physical body has many members, and as Paul says, they don't all serve the same function, so too we are all members of the body of Christ. We have all been joined together here at Antioch West Baptist Church And we have been joined together to serve different functions in this body 
for the glory of God. If you are a member of Antioch West today, I want you to understand, first and foremost, that you are needed. That you are here for a purpose. God has put you in this congregation for a reason. He has given you uh, certain gifts and talents, as we'll talk about in just a second. And the church cannot be all that God has for it to be without you. It cannot do what it is called to do without you. God has saved you and brought you to this church for a reason. Now you might say, you know, it all just seems like happenstance. I grew up in this church or I just happened to move to this area. No, it was all the purpose of God to put you in this place at this time for the benefit of this church and the glory of His kingdom. And like a body without a limb cannot function wholly because it is lacking, so too without your gifts and talents at work in this church, we are less able to do the mission that God has called us to do. And now look, I want you to understand that I have served just about every position there is to serve in a church. I've served on the nominating committee. At First Baptist, we have a committee on committees. We like committees so much, we have a committee for committees. So I have served on that committee. I've served on a pastor search committee as a discipleship director, as a youth minister, as a deacon, and as a pastor. And I've heard all the excuses. We're too busy. I don't feel qualified. I'm afraid that if I started serving, then I would get burned out and I'd lose my love for the church. And I understand that in, in certain circumstances, there, these are real excuses and they ring true. There are times when uh, a church can put too much on an individual. A church can ask someone to serve in four different positions and they get burned out. I understand. I've been there myself and been burned out and felt the weight that that brings. But I think more times than not, we give shallow excuses because we don't want to commit to the real work of living the Christian life. We like all the benefits, but we don't want to take the risk. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We, want, we don't want to be where the action is. But I emphasize again, until we are all serving in some way, until we are all using the gifts and the talents that God has given us for the good of this church, this church cannot reach its potential for the sake of the kingdom. So how can you serve? Now we find that second point in the gifts of grace that Paul gives us in verses 6 through 8. Here Paul turns to another point that he loves to make in his letters and how God has given grace to the people of God in proportion. And that grace manifests itself in gifts that each member has and can use for the good of the church body. In other words, the grace that God gives to each of us works itself out in different ways. We all hear the same gospel. 
We all receive the same Spirit. We all receive the same salvation. But the way it impacts us is different by the individual that it impacts. And so, for example, with me, when I came to faith in Christ, when God saved me, His grace impacted my mind. I was a quiet thinker. Uh, I love to try to figure out things and to see how things went together. So when God saved me and He gave me His Spirit, that thinking, that tr- that uh, wanting to figure things out, it was transformed or it was redeemed into a gift of wisdom and preaching. For some of you, you like people. I'm not crazy about people, but y'all, some of y'all like people. And you like to be around people and you like to be hospitable and you like to spend time with other people. And when God saved you, that that interest and that talent was redeemed into a gift of compassion and a gift of hospitality. Others of you, God redeemed your your trusting nature. Some of you trust people and trust God more than I do as a pastor. Some of you are more willing to step out on faith and do something than other people are. Some of you are bolder than I am and are willing to go do something uh, like go and visit the the new family that's just down the road. You just walk in and do it without anything. I, I do it. I know I'm I'm pretty much required to do it as a pastor, but I don't do it as easily as some of y'all do it because it's just natural for you to do it because you're gifted to do it. Some of you drop on your knees in an instant and pray over anything and everything because you have a gift of prayer and you feel led to pray before you do anything else. And you bless me and bless my soul because it encourages me when I don't first think to pray, your influence in my life benefits me and encourages me to do that and to lead in doing that. Some of you, God has redeemed your your ambition so that you are, are forward thinking and getting out and changing things and doing things. But God saves and redeems us. And the way that works itself out in the individuals in this church is that that blossoms into different gifts and talents that benefit the church. So now in Paul's writings, he gives several different lists of gifts. And you'll see that in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll see these lists that he gives of all these different gifts. And some people get really particular about this and they trip up over this list of gifts. In fact, back in the 90s, it was very popular to come up with this this formula or this this, uh, survey that you could take and you could figure out which spiritual gift you had based on these three lists from Paul's writings. But you'll notice if you go and you study those different lists that Paul gives in his different letters, all of them are different. Some of uh, all of them mention certain gifts that every church is going to have, but some of them list different gifts that aren't in the other list. And I think we tend to get tripped up trying to figure out, now do I have the gift of hospitality or prayer or faith or preaching or prophecy or tongues or what gift do I have? And what we fail to recognize is the reason I think that these lists are all different is because every church is different. Every church needs 
different gifts for the benefit of that particular church in that particular place. And so, if prophecy is needed, then guess what God's going to do? He's going to raise up a prophet. If healing is needed, then guess what God's going to do? He's going to raise up a healer. If, if uh, charity is needed, if uh, generosity is needed, guess what He's going to do? He's going to raise up someone who has a generous heart, who is able to give. God gifts different church churches with different people for that particular place and time. And He has given you the talents and the gifts that you have so that you can bless this church right now. And so, instead of trying to figure out where your gifts meet with these lists, or the list that we've just read through, instead, I encourage you to think and to pray about where your interests and your talents meet the needs of this church. Where is it that you see a need? Because God directs our minds and our hearts to certain needs in the church that other people may not see. You may see the person that is quiet and depressed and hasn't said a word in three months that they've been coming to the church. You may see that because you have a gift of compassion and therefore you are called and gifted to go speak to that person and do what you need to do to care for that person. You don't need the nominating committee to point that out for you. If you have that gift, then use that gift for the good of others in the church. So in the little time that I have left, I want to give you what I feel like is my vision for how we should serve in this church. First of all, the way that I feel like every believer should serve in any church is that you should start and continue in the attitude of serving by attending to the small things. And I mean two things by that. First of all, one way that you can serve is just by attending. And I mean that particularly to say, especially attending the three other services we have. Um, so we have Sunday morning, and, and you should ser- attend certain Sunday morning. I would highly recommend it. Thank you for being here today. But, um, but we have Sunday school, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And particularly with Sunday school and Wednesday night services, those tend to be discussion-oriented services. And let me tell you, it is very hard to have a discussion by yourself. Okay? So I would encourage you to pick one of those services and attend it. Because you bless the church and bless those meetings by coming and discussing and participating in the life of the church in those extra meetings that we have during the week. Um, another, besides attending, there are another way that you can serve is in the small things that we do in worship. There are things that we do in worship that you can jump in and serve in without any qualification, any experience, any skill. Let me give you three real quick. First of all, you can sing in the choir. Can I get an amen, Bill? Amen. Uh, all right. <laughs> you can sing in the choir. And notice I said it takes no skill or experience. 
you can look at look at the ones that are singing and know that. Uh, as, as our psalm said this morning, make a joyful noise. It doesn't say make a joyful melody. It says make a joyful noise. So you can sing in the choir. No requirements on that at all. You And Bill, they meet uh, after the Sunday evening service. Most Sunday evenings, you can just join in and come on in. They'll be glad to have you. You can usher. Um, you can just tell me after the service today, hey, Brother Nathan, if you need somebody to collect offering, I'll be glad. You just, you just point at me and come on up and I'll, I'll help. You can uh, talk to Kathy about reading scripture during our public reading that we do every, uh, every Sunday. She's always looking for people to, to help read those passages. Besides those three, and those are simple, easy things, we don't even nominate those positions. Like you, We don't nominate the choir, and we don't, I don't think we nominate ushers, and I don't think we nominate readers. You can just join in and start doing those things. But besides those things, you can step up in small ways, like saying, Brother Nathan, if you need somebody to pray at the end of the service, I'll be glad to do a public prayer. Or if you, uh, you can help with maintenance around the church. You know, Brother Jerry is, uh, graciously serves this church in ways that we don't see. He comes up here and does things, does more than we expect anybody to do. But he comes up here and does things. And I'm sure he would need help from time to time. So you might talk to him about how you can help. Or talk to the deacons about how you can help with the maintenance of this church. But those things don't require any experience, any uh, evaluation, any nomination, they just require you to be willing to serve in the small things. Second, you can serve in a formal position in this church. As Scott said at the beginning of the service, there are positions that are open that we need to fill as uh, nominations for this next year as a church. And I know, look, I understand I've served on them. Committees are not glorious. Nobody recognizes a committee for being a glorious work of service to the Lord. But they benefit the church in keeping it running smoothly. I know that VBS teachers and VBS leaders are not, uh, that's not easy work. I've done that too. But it's work that brings glory to God and it raises up the next generation. And guess what? This past VBS, we, we got to meet two new families that we're hoping to incorporate into our church through that ministry. Teaching Sunday school, teaching kids in Sunday school is a commitment. Teaching adults is a commitment. But discipleship of the next generation and of our adults is essential and vital to the ministry of this church. Finally, I want to end by giving a charge to two different groups in this church. To start, let me appeal to the younger adults. And you can feel flattered because by younger adult, I mean anybody under 50, okay? <laughs> so the younger adults in our church, let me give an appeal to you. We need you to attend. We need you to help in these small things that I've been talking about. We need you to serve in positions in this church. We need you to consider being a deacon or being a, being a Sunday school teacher or a VBS leader or a committee member. 
Now, sure, many of you attend faithfully on Sunday morning, but we need you to do more than that. And I know, believe me, I know I'm in that age group. Life is busy. It's about to get busier next week. I get it. But the church has, uh, has a need that only you can meet because God has put you together in this church to be a part of this body. And He has gifted you for His glory and for the good of His church. Second, older, to the older adults, we need you too. And I get it that things don't get easier when you retire. Things don't get easier when you begin to back away from things and to recognize that you can't do what you used to be able to do. But this church needs you to persevere in service. And most importantly, this church needs you to train up the next generation in service. The next generation needs you to, uh, needs you to teach them and to lead them in how to do the business of this church. They don't need you to fuss at them when they do it wrong. They need you to teach them how it should be done. And that takes rolling up your sleeves and getting in there with them and serving alongside of them. So let me just give you another thing that I've experienced in the four or five churches that I've served in and served in nominating committees and all those different roles. One thing that I've experienced is there is a tendency when we get older to apparently to, to pull back and to say, you know, I can't do. And uh, again, a lot of that is legitimate. I understand that you can't get out and do what you used to do. And I, I'm sympathetic to that. But what also tends to happen is we take whatever role we were serving and we hand it to the next guy and we say good luck <laughs> and we don't ever spend any time giving them direction and leadership in how to do the role we've turned them over to do and so they look like a goose in a hurricane when <laughs> when something comes up that they they've never heard of or, or dealt with before and let me, what I mean by leading alongside of them is that's not the time to berate them for what they've done. It's the time to come along and to explain how we do it and why we do it that way and where we can reconcile that issue. So it's my great hope that this church will continue to be a beacon of grace and mercy and faithfulness in this community as each of us uses our gifts and our talents to serve one another. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings of this church. Lord, we thank you for so many people that we can remember who had an impact on our lives and how they served with gladness and used their gifts for the benefit of others. Lord, I pray that you would raise up young men and young women who would be willing to overcome the busyness of their lives and to find ways to serve. Pray that you would give older men and women the strength to continue in service and the wisdom to help the next generation in knowing how to, to carry on the business of the church. And Father, I pray that we would work together to benefit each other and that in that we would see your glory and that we would see the kingdom grow and expand throughout this world. 
I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.